Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. We explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of sola scriptura and tota scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. You can join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. And how about this? Let's do this as a, as a quick promotion. Get a coupon code when you join the group now. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do that. Uh, you can also support the show at anchor.fm. Dollar a month even helps. Subscribe and comment on Facebook and Instagram. All that good stuff. Give me quotes that you found beneficial or not, or detrimental, you know, whatever. <laughs> and you'll be entered to win a book every month. Uh, in person, I'm joined by. Hey, everybody. It's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. This is the smoothest intro you've ever done. Mm. And via the interwebs, bye. Hey, everybody. John Ross here. Uh, Westminster effects artist, Dogsbergian Christian out of coffee from Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, we are not short on coffee here. Yeah. And Currently I'm super sipping. thankful for it. I'm out of coffee. beans. I got half a Diet Coke left. I'm struggling, boys. Oh, no. Oh, Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi problems. No. 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 No, that was on your end, John. Hmm. Did I stutter? Did I stutter? <laughs> Did I stutter? <laughs> Did I stutter? <laughs> and this is now the Westminster Effects Office Quotes podcast. Where we explore <laughs> office episodes bit by bit, but only but only through what was it season seven when Michael Scott left? <laughs> yeah, because then it just like all downhill from there. Uh, but anyway, so a discussion is warranted us being at least in the reformed ish vein <laughs> since John's i appreciate Lutheran. the ish i'll always yeah. be I'll, ish. I'll, I'll be the ish, ish. i'll be the issue buddy it's like yeah that's okay um we believe god is sovereign yes we believe mm-hmm. god has decreed all things that will take place or have ever taken place mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. uh so there is an uh, an element of what some philosophical people would call determinism where God has determined all things. Oh, so what about Afghanistan and all the crap going on there? Uh, So if you've been under a literal rock, not Iraq, but a rock, uh, (laughs) sorry, Middle Eastern jokes. Um, The Biden administration has withdrawn all of our military forces in Afghanistan and the Taliban is, well, not is, but has taken over mm-hmm. and there's people being killed, women getting raped, uh, house churches getting blown up and all that good stuff. And so now the question becomes from certain parties, are you sure about that? Hmm. Yeah. So and and you know that I think that was a, a longer silence than normal, uh, intentionally by both of you because it is a heavy subject and it's and it's not something that we're gonna you know take super lightly. Of course, we're not going to take ourselves seriously, which is normal. <laughs> True. Uh, but what we're seeing is kind of horrifying. Yes. On on the news with people falling from uh, 
from C-19s or whatever that plane C-17 was. C-17s. C-17s. Thank you. Um, I forgot you do have a thing for planes. I, I, I do. I get residuals from Lockheed Martin every time I correctly identify one of their aircraft. I see. I see. So C-17s, uh, people falling off of them in the evacuation attempts, we have all that kind of stuff. So what do we do? What do like we, we have questions of uh, from Justin Shepard, who dropped the ball in Afghanistan? We have uh, Justin Tenkate asking, what are the fundamental differences between our worldview and just outright rote determinism, which, which would make God the author of evil, as opposed to our view, which he doesn't, he doesn't author evil. Um, yeah. So what do we do? Uh, I, <clears throat> I'll jump in. Um, I mean, the first thing I want to say is that I think we do have to be careful here. Um, yes. You know, pastorally sensitive and, and pastoral sensitivity is not, I use that term uh, sort of broadly um, because it's not a sensitivity that's regulated only to those who serve in vocational ministry at the pastoral level. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, you know, we are sheep and we're all sheep and we're all endeavoring to care for some of the fold um, in some way or another. And, you know, far be it from me, from the cheap seat, so to speak, Mm. uh, to look at a woman who's been raped by a member of the Taliban or uh, a father whose child fell out of a plane during an evacuation and say, don't question the sovereignty of God. Right. You know, that, that kind of attitude I think is harmful and unhelpful. Um, it's possible to say the right things in the wrong spirit and they not have the right effect. And, and I think we just need to be careful with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those in the reformed community need to be uh, compassionate in our lauding and contending for, the sovereignty of God in all things. Um, and when these kinds of things come up, um, I my tendency is not to try to wax eloquent on, you know, philosophy and, you know, theologize people into a corner where they're forced to acknowledge that our God is sovereign in all things. I think the best thing to do is to to look to the scriptures. It's it's to go to the Bible and look into the word of God to us and say, God, help me, because I can't in my own mind, my own human reasoning, connect the dots between your sovereignty, your goodness, and the outright hell and torture that some people on this planet are facing right now. Yeah. And one of the places that I would go um, is James chapter one. Um, Verse one is something we often fly by. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. Um, The dispersion is what informs uh, what James refers to, at least in the ESV, as trials, right? It, yep. it, trials, you know, you hear that word trials and you think, oh, you know, somebody's had a migraine or um, that their things are not going well at work. But mm-hmm. the dispersion was horrific. 
right? Yeah. I mean, the persecution that fell upon the church and scattered the Christians out of Jerusalem. Um, what happened in you know seventy A.D. Yeah, is as horrible, if not more horrible and horrific than what Christian brothers and sisters are facing in Afghanistan right now. Josephus recorded, um, and he was there. Mm-hmm. He he recorded uh, women boiling their babies, yes, and, and eating their babies and offering it to people yeah. who were passing by. It's horrible. Yeah. It it is as awful. As, as we could imagine, as we could fathom, that, that's what these folks were going through. And it's to those people that James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, which would be incredibly insensitive had he not continued on to say, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. How do we connect the dots between God's sovereignty, his goodness, and the kinds of things that are going on right now. Well, one way is to let James, inspired by the Spirit, tell us that, you know what? Every test, every trial, as horrible as the dispersion was, as horrible as what's going on in Afghanistan is, God is working in that to test, and that word means to prove or put on display the genuineness and effectiveness of our faith. And that's a good work. Yeah. So in every trial, that's, he says various trials, and that word means trials of all colors, all shapes and sizes, every one of those, big and small and in between, God is putting the genuineness of the faith that he's given us in him on display for his glory. Yep. And that's good news. And it's going to produce good things in us, as horrible as that might sound. And I think you have to connect that passage also with the words of Paul, where he says, this light and momentary affliction is mm-hmm. producing for us a glory that far outweighs it all. There, faith, Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I may not see the glory that I know is coming. Mm-hmm. I may not see the good that this is producing, but what I know it is producing is steadfastness in me that's going to carry me all the way to perfection. And God is putting the genuineness of my faith on display. And I have to hold on to that in, you know, things like my family comes down with COVID. And I also have to hold on to that if I'm in a situation like people are in Afghanistan that are facing such horrific things. And so that that's, at least a starting point, I think, for talking about the sovereignty of God is, is let's go to the scriptures and let's let the word of God wash over us um, in those kinds of things, rather than just try to wax eloquent about determinism or other things. Mm-hmm. If we're if we're going to have some compassionate, empathetic kind of conversations about this, sure. What you got over there, John? Well, certainly not as much as uh, I think he's frozen. Oh, there he goes. I'm here. Jeez, you, you oh, froze for a second. You're but all jumping anyway. on the internet. Yeah. Um, uh, certainly not as much as Bradley. Um, <laughs> well, he does get paid to talk for forty minutes on that's Sundays. True. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, you know, the sovereignty of God 
doctrines are something that, you know, a Lutheran really doesn't have an issue with. But something we don't talk about as often as a, is, is the Reformed crowd does. Um, and I, I think that probably boils down to uh, uh, some of the doctrine of election and the differences there. Um, mm. and, and, and that's probably where some of that, that emphasis comes from. So I don't chew on that too often. Um, I agree and I grasp it. Um, but, you know, as is tradition, you know, dropping a topic on us is, you know, it's not even something I considered. I'm like, of course, it's easy for me to say in the midst of it because I'm not in the midst of it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to say, um, and, and not just placate like, oh, God's in control. Um, what was that Twyla Paris? That, that song? God is in control. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Not Sorry. be forsaken. Anyways, uh, wow, 1995, everybody. Um, but you know, at the very root of it, you know, this kind of gets almost into theodicy, right? Where where the why do bad things why do bad things happen? Um, and you know, as we introduced at the start of the program, um. Uh, it would not be accurate to say um, that God causes the sin, which causes the evil. God allows the circumstances, and He will use those to His glory. And that's my understanding, which may which may differ a bit. Um, you know, I, I will say, like I said, you know, it's not some it's it's not a doctrine I've I've um, I've dove into. Uh, sorry, Stephen Chris Chapman just jumped into my head. Diving in, I'm going deep. You got me in a mindset now, folks. Oh <laughs> Westminster Effects 90 CCM podcast. That, that'd be uh, like an eight-hour special. I think. Yeah, I, I think this gets into. We need to have the foundation before these things happen. That's yeah. That that's one thing that yeah. the the last year and a half has really taught us. I think is is we need to have. We need to think as many things through as possible before before it it all hits the fan. Like, does the does the state have the right to do X Y Z yeah. in regards to uh, certain viruses? Uh, does the state have the right to say that you can't meet for church uh, because of certain circumstances? Um, and well, what about God's sovereignty regarding certain circumstances, particularly with viruses and people? getting sick and dying mm-hmm. and and stuff like that we we need to have this fleshed out well you know what's interesting to me is you know you you mentioned that twilight paris song john and you, you know you think about the lyrics of that god is in control um i will not see the righteous forsaken i mean it's like we, we sing about things that we just don't think very deeply about. Mm. We don't talk very deeply about. I said this on Sunday is that we tend to engage in things or affirm things that are real and significant uh, without really thinking very deeply and, um, and rightly about them. And, I, and it's amazing to me how many songs we sing that laud the sovereignty of God and we just don't play the tape out. Yeah. We don't think through it. I mentioned an article um, in, I don't know, a sermon or two ago 
uh it was put out by christianity today um in 1995 or six somewhere around in there uh about this guy named marshall shelley who had a child that lived for two minutes and he wrote uh, he had some sort of genetic defect that two minutes after he was born uh he died mm -hmm. and Marshall wrote an article entitled, Why Would God Design a Child to Live for Two Minutes? And one of the things that's fascinating to me about that is that, you know, Marshall, Marshall wrestled with some, you know, if you read the article, and I think it's even mentioned on Desiring God and Piper comments on it. Um, you read the article and, and Marshall wrestled with some serious grief and serious questions uh, surrounding the big, you know, this sort of banner question of why would God design my son to live for two minutes? Uh, but the interesting, one of the interesting things is that he never even questions whether or not God did it. Yeah. He just moves right past the, the question of did God design this child to live for two minutes to why would he design this child to live for two minutes? And so, so the question is not even there, is God in control? So this is a man that I think is, he has the foundation of the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. And from that foundation, he's asking the right question. Yes. He's asking a good question that is, it can be wrestled with. And I, I won't tell you what his conclusion was. You can go and find the article yourself and read it. It's, it's amazing, uh, the conclusion that he came to. But... I, I'm just saying that to agree with you. I think we've got to have this. We've got to dig in the scriptures and ask the questions and have this foundation one way or the other, because when the proverbial stuff hits the fan is not the time to be asking, is God sovereign? Right. Right. I mean, and for Marshall, thankfully, he didn't have to wrestle with that. He got to move to the question that really needed to be asked. And that's why would God do it this way? Because God did do it, which begs which begs the question, um, you know, diverging a bit from um, from the Afghanistan problem, call it that, um, is in in moments of of grief or or suffering or uh, trials, right? Is is often when when we may see uh, unbelievers turn to a believer. Or turn to the notion of God uh, for for comfort uh, mm -hmm. or uh, consolation or a glimmer of hope when they may have uh, be perceiving nothing but despair. The challenge there for folks like us who who do in fact trust that uh, um, that God has uh, uh, ordains stroke allow all things. Um, You know, the the God is in control. God has a plan. The Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, like those don't those don't help people who don't have the foundation, right? Like, uh, you know, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the concept of show and tell is something that uh, uh, that one of our pastors is working on for his, his doctoral thesis. Um, it's where we will always have the opportunity uh, to tell the doctrine to teach the doctrine but we need to show what that means first we need to have that compassion up front mm. um you know 
And it's really when individuals have that foundation where God is absolutely glorified, right? We, uh, you know, we can think back to the the regrettably uh, numerous tragedies that that even three of us have seen in our in our lifetimes. Um, I mean, Columbine, uh, the the girl standing up for her standing up for her faith and being murdered in cold blood. Uh, God was glorified in that, and you know what? What good is it? Is the question. What? What? What is the outcome? Okay, God is glorified. Is there anything more? He loves us. What about us? Mm-hmm. You know, but does that circumstance or 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 that that event uh, that that almost martyrdom, in a sense, does that point us? to a faith that may be stronger than our own, that somebody believed in something and clung to something so strongly that even in the face of death itself, decided to proclaim Christ. And that's why the foundation is important because you can't have, you can't go from zero to 60 um, at, at game time. Like you can't, your, your head just won't let you go there. Your sinful human nature will, it just has too many roadblocks. Well, I, I think, you know, it, if people are listening and, you know, you're like, uh, I, I, maybe you're like John, you're like, I just haven't thought very deeply about all this and really haven't been forced to because maybe you haven't experienced something as so painful, so tragic, so hard that these questions are just forced on you. Um in preparation for that day, if, if that day comes for you, one question I think to wrestle with is, what's the point of this life? What's the point of everything? What's the, what's the, what's the, the apex of good for my life and my existence? And the cultural narrative, particularly in our part of the world, is that the apex apex of good and and moral rightness for my life is my own uh, comfort, prosperity, and indulgence in what I feel is right and good for me. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm the point. I'm the goal. Um, If I'm sick, I should be well. If I'm broke, I should be rich. If I'm uh, unmarried, I should be married. If I, I have these particular sexual inclinations, I should be able to satisfy them. Um, it, the point is me. And a, even a uh, token, in my opinion, uh, dive into scripture will tell you that, that that is absolutely not true. Right. Because the point is God, the point is God's glory. And if you don't get that right, nothing else is going to make sense. If you don't realize that everything about every breath I take, um, every, everything that I experience, everything that I, I do, every, everything that I can control and can't control, it's all for his glory. That's the point of this story uh, that, that we're all living out and experiencing that. That then, I think, lays the first it the first bit of concrete on the foundation of God's sovereignty. Yep. 
is that it's 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 about him, not me. You know, there. Get the, oh, so I'm go sorry, ahead. No, go sorry, ahead. Sorry to interject. Um, there's uh, there's a hurdle there, though. Is you know how do we how do we get from a place of acknowledging that you know that God's glory isn't always or even seldom good for us in our from our perspective right from our sinful human nature perspective right the loss of a child as you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier mm-hmm. and and yeah having that foundation before before the event uh, you know <laughs> absolutely helps this but we're uh, just as a people, we're all so caught up on what what good is this for me? What does this do for me? Um, you know, if God is is all is all loving, fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, as Luther uh, says in the explanation of the first article, mm-hmm. then how do we juxtapose? And this is this is rhetorical. How how do we juxtapose um, God's worthiness of His glory with this? Really sucks for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's going to be the hurdle that we're going to have when you know ministering and evangelizing to people in the midst of tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the the Apostle Paul asked that question. Um, I think it, it's a similar question uh, when he begged God to take away whatever that thorn in the flesh was. Mm-hmm. He did not see that that was good for him mm-hmm. when he was begging for it to be taken away. But at some point, now he says that the Lord's answer to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, I imagine that's something that Paul had to digest. Mm. Uh, Something that, and and here's where I I think in a a proper biblical understanding of faith comes in, is that if we understand that to believe the stories about God's glory and that all things are working together for good, to truly believe that and hold on to that requires faith that we can't produce on our own. You know, the, 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 the goal is not to talk myself in to some sort of belief in those statements in and of myself in order to make it mm-hmm. through it's a dependence on the spirit to uh do the work in me that's necessary to have supernatural faith in those things even when i can't see and so i think that work happened for paul and he came to the conclusion that that thorn in the flesh was actually something god intended for him for his good he came to that conclusion uh, when he says, you know, it was to keep me from becoming conceited, right? Because of the revelation, at some point, God gave him faith to understand that, get his mind around that, and that's we understand sovereign grace precedes saving faith. I think it's anytime there's an increase of faith. I mean, there was one point where Jesus's disciples uh, were he was teaching them about you know making statements like. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they look back at him and go, well, then who can be saved? 
Yeah, and Jesus I, says, I, I, "I think there's sometimes with the parables that it's like, and they had a problem with this. They had a problem with that. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus makes this statement: with man, it's impossible. Right? Context: It's impossible for a rich man on his own to see past his dependence on stuff to utter and total dependence on God. Mm. But with God, all things are possible. And here was the disciples' response to that." Give us more faith. We, yeah. we need yeah. you to do something in us so that we can believe what you just said, because we can't get there on our own. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they, they didn't go directly to, uh, you know, chanting a mantra, right? That's right. And, and like trying to have some sort of, of credo or catchphrase, uh, you know, be their belief, like a set of core values or something. Not that there's anything wrong with core values, yeah. but... Uh, but if we no, understand that God, I think that's a great explanation thus far. If God gives us grace, you know, like um, I talked about this recently somewhere. I, I can't remember where I was teaching something, but I, you know, um, when James says he gives more grace, uh, when Peter talks about growing in grace and knowledge. There, there is this, yes, we understand grace at the point of salvation, but there is this ongoing need for God to give more grace, for God to do work, uh, gracious work in us that produces more faith. And I think we're never going to get away from dependence on God and His grace to trust Him in and through all the various things we're going to face in this life, whether it's the kind of first world problems we deal with here in America uh, and are dealing with in America right now, or the kind of chaos and tragedy that's befallen Afghanistan uh, via the hands of the Taliban. So I, I think to answer your question, yes, there are hurdles here that, I mean, why would we think that the, the Christian life, the supernatural Christian life is going to be sort of an easy exercise in mental, um, logical connecting the dots that, oh, God's sovereign, and um, I trust him to work like all some things sort of together. academic pursuit. Or, exactly, yeah. as opposed to a work of the Spirit where we absolutely abandon ourselves in faith uh, and confidence in a God that we know to be good. Uh, and at times probably struggle to trust him in the midst of hard things. You know, and that that's really the the foundation of the doctrines of, of the distinction of law and gospel, right? Is that, oh, excuse me, the law, you know, the three uses of the law, the curb, the mirror, the uh, the guide, and then the mirror crushes, crushes our self-worth, our self-importance, and, uh, and places on us uh, the uh, the the righteous cloak of Christ, um, but we we can't we can't get there. Mm -hmm. We can't see that if we're not first brought to the foot of the cross by yeah. our own sin and the nature of our circumstance. You know, I, I know we need to move on to Inquisition, but. Um, Last night, the elders met, and we were wrestling through um, John chapter 6. And Oh, yeah. Th what an amazing chapter that is. I mean, it, it starts with Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. 
um, the next day, Jesus and the disciples go to the other side of the lake and the crowd wakes up and goes, oh, the boats are gone. Where did Jesus go? And they go around the lake to meet him. And Jesus starts to challenge them, essentially saying to them, look, you came all the way over here to find me because you want me to feed you again. And what you're failing to understand is I'm the bread of life. You the, the, it, Come around the lake and find me because you want to be with me. You want to be near me. You want to learn more from me, not just because you want me to do another magic trick and put on a buffet. <laughs> and it's at that point that Jesus makes this statement. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And not only did the crowd not what, know what to do with that, but many who were following him as quote unquote disciples abandoned him at that point. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's such a startling. And it says even that Jesus knew, Jesus knew who really believed in him and who didn't at that point. Sure. And so when they all, when some of them fell away, he wasn't shocked. And he looked at the 12 and said, are you going to? And the 12 said, where else are we going to go? We, the the mm. statement was just as hard for us, Jesus, as it was for the crowd and the others that have left you. But we have so abandoned ourselves to you. We have nowhere else to go. And that, that seems like hard and harsh, but it's also incredibly beautiful because it's a testament of the work of God, the sovereign work of God in the human heart to believe and trust. It is. And, uh, uh, you know, even though I, I uh, was the impetus for last week's topic um, and then, then bailed because life things, um, part, of, uh, part of my liturgical tradition is uh, a, uh, a verse between the epistle reading and the gospel reading. Traditional kind of Lutheran services have, uh, have three readings as part of the pericope. Uh, you know, Old Testament epistle and, and gospel, and between the two, uh, there uh, there is a sung excerpt from John six. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have right. the words of yep. eternal life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. I mean, yeah. Sure, there's some nostalgia and, and personal tradition that's kind of bubbling up and giving me that the warm fuzzies. But I mean, th- th- that's that's the creed. Right, that's our confession. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have I'll never f- eternal life. I'll never forget the day that I pulled home. I got home, pulled in my driveway. There's blood all over my driveway because my 18-month-old son had fallen into the mulch bed, and a piece of mulch had stabbed his lip terribly. Mm. And we took him. It, it was such a bad cut. We took him to the hospital, and. Uh, the plastic surgeon that comes in says, we're going to have to sew his lip up or he's going to have a horrible scar for the rest of his life. And I, along with a nurse had to hold my 18 month old son down Mm -hmm. while they stuck a needle in his lip to numb it. Yeah. And I'll never forget the look on his face at 18 months old when he's looking up at his father and you can see the question in his mind, why is my daddy doing this to me? Mm. I could I, Now, maybe I'm perceiving that. Maybe I'm uh, reading into his facial expression because I'm experiencing a lot of grief that I'm having to do this. 
but I just remember the look of terror on his face at the hands of his own father. But here's the deal. When they were done sewing his lip up and it was all over, you know what he did? He crawled up in my lap. Mm -hmm. He crawled up in my lap and sought comfort in my arms because as a child, here's all he knows. I don't understand why my daddy did that to me, but I know that's my safe place. And so I'm going to crawl up in his arms and rest right there. And in his mind, that was enough. And it's interesting that Jesus would say, unless you have faith like that of a child, thinking the same thing, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. Right. And that you, you, we, it, at some point, doesn't it come back to that is that we're just not going to be able to reason our way through everything, but we just say, Lord, I trust you because it, you know, if nothing else, I look to the cross and I see Jesus absorbing and exhausting the wrath of God for me, for my sin. And so sometimes that might have to be enough. Yep. Good stuff, fellas. I barely had to say anything today. That's kind of nice. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's get to the Inquisition and give you a chance, huh? Let's. And this is the Inquisition, where you directly contribute to the show. You ask us questions, and we answer it on the fly. And that's via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. And as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, you are given 16 weeks to teach a Sunday school or small group class on either a biblical book or a subject in biblical theology. What do you choose and why? All right, give me give me context here. I realize that there's there's quite a bit of the reform crowd use Sunday school to describe adult education as well. Is right. that the sure. context here? Mm-hmm. I would assume so. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to go with a book, I might go with Ephesians. I was thinking the exact same thing. Uh, partially because what is it? 6, 7 chapters. It's not an enormous book. But there's a lot in there to talk about, mm-hmm. and it's you can really get the gospel and its direct applications pretty quickly. You could almost think of it as Romans for dummies. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. Not but, that far, but but I agree. I I, I was going to say the exact same thing. How about mm. it? Hmm. What about you, John? I would probably choose the Gospel, of John. Huh. Yeah. So, so a, a true crash course through John. Yeah. If you got, if you got, and 16, and and really, weeks. I mean, really emphasizing uh, the allegory of light versus dark, having that be the emphasis. I mean, a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not understood. It just. Mm. I, love <laughs> I love that. I, well, I, well, I I would love to chew on that with a group of people for for sixteen weeks and maybe more. Well, what about uh, if we if we decided on a subject in biblical theology? What would we what would we go with? Hmm. Personally, I think I think I would do something along the lines of how our doctrine of God directly ties into a bunch of other core doctrines. So, hmm. the, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity and aseity, 
mm. sovereignty and all that stuff t- ties into things like justification by faith, God being love, mm. uh, election, whatever. Uh, for instance, uh, if if God is one person, if he's Unitarian, like the Islamic God, mm-hmm. um, you don't have a basis for God being love because there's no love between the persons of the Trinity like we have in yeah. eternity past, sure. right? Etc. You could even get into covenant theology, all that kind of good mm-hmm. stuff. So, I like it. it. It all stems from the doctrine of God. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and, and if you think about it, like what we said earlier, if, if the story is about him and his glory, yeah. and you've got 16 weeks, and, and the way the question's posed, it feels like, okay, we got... We got one shot with these people, right? You know, <laughs> and then they're let's, gone forever. <laughs> let, let's do the doctrine of God if you're going to pick a topic. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what I'd choose. I mean, clearly, since you're Lutheran, you would just, you'd spend eight weeks on baptism and eight weeks on, on <laughs> communion. Mm. Uh, you know, I'd probably, I'd probably do the proper distinction between law and gospel. Also awesome. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'd probably do that. Mm. Good times. All right. I got sunshine in my eyes. Last question from Corey Truax. By the way, go listen to his podcast. It's fantastic. You you can't miss it if you just search his name because, as he says, he has a weird name with Truax being his last name. Hmm. Uh, So look up the Corey Truax show on your favorite podcast catcher. He says, I hope he didn't pay you for that. That was the most. He did not. He did not. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) he, He said, I very. Very recently, and he by very recently means within the last three weeks, was introduced to the doctrine of lesser magistrates. And he's wondering our opinions on this doctrine and its outworkings. Um, yeah, doctrine of lesser, lesser magistrates. What do we think? I'm at a loss. Give me, I, I have uh, to confess. Okay. I, I, I'll, I'll pull up a definition real quick. For I, you. I, I have to confess. I, I think I knew a little bit of the definition, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't say that I've given it a whole lot of thought. I mean, it, I, I guess the pandemic has raised this question in some ways, right? I mean, yeah, you've got, you know, um, federal and state governments, depending on the, on the context, uh, officials mandating that churches cannot meet and gather. And, yep. um, you know, you've got, some governor saying that you know school districts have to require masks and some school districts are pushing back on that and saying nope we're not requiring that um it's you know i i I mean i I think it's a sound doctrine from what i understand i just can't say that i've done a lot of work with that yeah uh so if you google doctrine of the lesser magistrate uh The doctrine of the lesser magistrate declares that when the superior or higher civil authority makes an unjust slash immoral law or decree, the lesser or lower ranking civil authority has the right and duty to refuse obedience to that superior authority. It comes out of the Protestant Reformation, and I think they would root that in the Old Testament. Uh, Like You can get uh, federalism from Exodus when when representatives are chosen from mm-hmm. from the tribes and you know they handle the lesser disputes and as you have to work your way up you eventually get to moses so he's not doing everything yeah. um so that's kind of how we get federalism and so this would be uh the term is interposition where you know if the federal government says hey we're going to do x and the state says you don't have that right 
we're not going to enforce that here. Right. So is this doctrine then something that informs our moral position on a state rejecting the federal government's mandates as well as a doctrine that informs how we as the church respond to state mandated I think so. legislation I think and from so. a and even how an individual Christian would respond in some ways to how a wife might respond to a husband. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It, it informs all of that, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I think of when Peter and John heal the lame man by the beautiful gate, and then they are threatened by the Sanhedrin for doing so in the name of Christ. Their response is interesting because it, it, it's a response that I think exhibits biblical submission mm-hmm. to a governing authority because they say, you have to judge whether or not it's right. In other words, y- you can do whatever you do because you have a certain amount of power and authority over right. us. Right. But we're not going to stop preaching. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, they put their wrists out to be handcuffed if that's the way this is going to go down because we're not going to stop preaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm kind of trying to connect the dots in my mind Right. With all of that. And, and I think it would even apply, in, like you said, in, in a church setting. Like if, if you said, hey, small group leaders, you have to do X, Y, Z. And there was a moral. A moral problem like a, with an that. An actual moral problem. Not just like an opinion or we don't really love that structure kind of thing, but this defies God's commandments somehow. <laughs> then I, as a small group leader, would have the responsibility to be like, no. Yeah, right. We're not, we're not doing that. Uh, a good historical uh, example is actually the the American Revolution, mm. where you know we we talk about taxation without representation. But what happened? What happened was uh, the colonies were established by a charter with the king, and the way it was set up was the king of England was the king of the colonies, but it was set up so that the colonies had their own legislatures. Mm. They didn't answer to Parliament, mm-hmm. and so. To make a very long story short, through various historical things, Parliament started enacting taxes on the colonies. And mm. you actually had members of Parliament siding with the colonies saying, no, we shouldn't be doing these things to the colonies because they have their own legislatures already, mm. which is why in the in the Declaration of Independence, they're appealing to the king saying, hey, king, our beef is basically with you not doing your job mm-hmm. because – You've ceded things to Parliament. We don't answer to Parliament, right? Yep. And so that they were actually obeying Romans thirteen, doing this. Yeah, it's interesting. It'd be interesting to wrestle with it because I can see where the the different permutations mm-hmm. could raise different questions. Yeah, in, within this doctrine, I think yep. yeah, obviously, I think it's a there's there's something true and right there. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where anything worth doing is worth doing wrong. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to make a mistake somewhere <laughs> yeah. along the way. But like I think of uh, the the bill that McMaster, our, our governor in South Carolina, just signed into law where he said, hey, any federal gun regulations that we deem violate the Constitution will be illegal to enforce in South Carolina. Like we're not doing that nonsense here. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, w- that would be an example of lesser magistrate where we're saying no you know, whatever higher authority, you're actually violating what you're supposed to be doing. 
Sure. Go Governor Mack. Yeah. Mm. I, I love listening to that guy talk. <laughs> He's got that just that syrupy kind of <laughs> Governor Mac master. Governor Mac master. <laughs> it's like Frank Underwood. <laughs> like the entire cast of a brother Rob now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is more Charleston. Yeah, oh, yeah. God, okay. brother yeah. That that genteel Southern accent. Mm. Yeah, or like in the Office episode where what's his name keeps going Savannah. (laughs) 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 Oh, book ended. Book ended by Office quotes. Yes, book ended by Office quotes. We'll just leave it there. We'll see you next week. I can't stop that.